Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'll be your host again on this presentation today. And with me today is Jack Herr, our Capital Markets Associate here at the Rudd Company. For our new listeners who may not be familiar with our firm, the Rudd Company is a wealth management firm headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. We manage investments for clients across the country and specialize in active portfolio management, retirement planning, and the setup and management of employer-sponsored retirement plans. And Jack, um, today we're starting to get some feedback from our listeners, which is exciting. Yeah, it is. Uh, one of these topics we have just received some interest on and some feedback on is investing in gold and silver. And so that we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But before we begin, earlier I used the term active portfolio management. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what that is? All right. So active management at its core is choosing specific investments in a portfolio with a certain goal in mind. This goal could be outperforming a benchmark trying to obtain a target return, or even generating a certain percentage of income for a client. But more specifically, when I think of the Rudd Company and active management, I think of some of the things we've discussed before on the podcast. The best way to explain it, in my opinion, is we really are in the trading room every day with our security monitors, our price targets, and our pricing models, among other things, actively looking for investment opportunities in the market. This is opposed to a passive strategy, which may include an index fund that is pretty much just performing in line with an index minus a certain fee percentage. I think this gives us an advantage because we are able to make adjustments to our portfolio on a day-to-day basis if need be, based on our overall opinion of the market or where we think it may be going. Sounds like we're pretty involved. Yeah, we are. Let's talk about how we've been responding, what we've been responding to here recently just in the trading room. So uh, before we get started with uh, discussion over precious metals, which I'm looking forward to, why don't you take us into the trading room uh, with you over the last month or so and give our listeners an idea of what we've been responding to. Yeah, so there's a couple things I wanted to touch on here. The first one being just the current state of the economy. As you know, the stock market's been doing really well lately. I think we hit an all-time high a couple weeks ago. So um, I think what's driving that is the Fed rate cut that's expected by year end. Um, I know there's still some questions on trade, but it does seem like there's some progress there. Um, And then also consumer confidence and spending seems to be driving the economy right now. Um, It's at high. We're heading into the holiday season. I think that's good as well. Um, On the other side of things, though, um, some of the manufacturing data and business investment may be telling a different story. Um, We're starting to see some weakness in those areas, especially on the business investment side of things. So is there anything you want to talk about there or anything that stands out to you? I think you've I think you brought up the key points. So we do still have you know, we are showing uh, GDP growth. It's not as high as I think. And, you know, in my experience that it should be given all of the stimulus that we've had for quite some time now. I just think we'd you know, we'd be above the three percent mark, which which we're not. And we've seen some really nice spots here recently, again, in housing. And, Jack, I know you and I have talked about that in the trading room, that it's great to have the housing market strong again, really responding as a direct response to lower interest rates, making homes more affordable, at least on on the finance side. But housing, you know, by itself is just such a small contributor in terms of jobs and um, impact on the overall economy. I'd like to see something uh, a little more robust. You mentioned uh, 
business investment, which I believe uh, was a detractor uh, to overall GDP growth. And that's really what I want to see. I want to see firms, you know, ordering new equipment and uh, preparing for higher demand. And that, uh, that gives me a little bit of pause right now. So I am seeing some weakness there. Also, we are heading into the Christmas season. We talked about that on our last call. And so we're probably going to continue to see some strong retail numbers. Uh, so the consumer, you know, we keep talking about the 70% consumer. In fact, I saw Jamie Dimon, uh, the uh, leader over there at J.P. Morgan, mentioned that the other day. Everybody's talking about the 70% of GDP comes from the consumer. And we'll probably continue to see that. I, I will tell you that here at the Rudd Company, uh, Jack and I have noticed that that, that growth is, is slowing down a little bit on the consumer side. So we are watching that pretty closely. Uh, so I'd like to see something a little bit more robust than just uh, housing, if that makes sense, Jack. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. Um, you brought the holiday season. I'm interested to see what happens as we go in and consumer spending maybe slowing down a bit. But, um, you, know, you know, we'll see going into the holiday season. So the final thing I wanted to discuss related to the market is just a comparison of growth versus value stocks in 2019. In the first six months, growth stocks outperformed value stocks by a pretty noticeable margin in 2019. Um, but over the last few months, we've started to see this change a bit, and value stocks are actually starting to you know, shrink that margin and catch up. So I'm interested to see how we close this year and just wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on this trend, if you had anything to say. Oh, absolutely. So we have, we've seen that rotation, and for, for those of you who we've uh, been working with for some time know that we were a little disappointed in 2018 uh, equity performance because our firm is, is really more focused on free cash flow, dividends, and uh, quality management, uh, more uh, what I would call top shelf companies that are that are well run. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll even go further and say we're, we're uh, less focused on promises and more focused on results, Jack. I yeah. think that's really <laughs> what drives our investment decisions here. And you're typically going to see cash flow and dividends as a, as a big part of that. I, I, I know we had uh, a meeting last week where I had asked uh, all of our interns here uh, at the company to respond to a question, you know, what is a what is a stock worth that's never going to pay any dividends, uh, you know, and, and I would ask our audience to think about that as well. Um, so we're focused on cash flow and dividends here at the Rudd Company, and I think you've seen a rotation of the general public and investors in general. I don't know if it's if it's caused by anything that investors are seeing, Jack, in the in the economy, or maybe just a a feeling of you know kind of a precarious or an uneasy feeling. Uh, in the market, but we're focusing more on on results. And uh, when you look at the earnings season that we are finishing up right now, I think we have over 90% of the companies that have reported. A vast majority of them are beating on earnings. But what I think is interesting, Jack, is that less than half of them the last time I read actually beat on revenue. And what we need to see and what I like to see in investments uh, is top-line growth. And that tells me that we're selling more services, we're selling more products, uh, we're actually, you know, pushing inventory out. Inventories are being drawn down, um, and I think you're seeing some weakness there on top line. I know that October was not a fun uh, sector or not a fun month for the the auto, the new uh, auto manufacturers. You know, they didn't push out a lot of product, so we're definitely watching that very close. And I think the consumer is too. I think the consumer is demanding cash flow. 
uh, and and money now versus promises of, of growth in the future. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the earnings. You know, obviously we track that very closely, and that trend of the revenue miss in EPSB that's something we'll definitely keep our eyes on. So that's all the questions I had or things I wanted to bring up for market updates. Is there anything you'd like to add? No, I'm ready to talk about gold and silver. Me too. So before we get started today, you know, I, I, I normally like to have something funny at the beginning, but uh, this time it's, it's pretty, pretty tough to find uh, any jokes about gold and silver without offending somebody. So <laughs> what, what I'm going to do is uh, give you a fun fact today. Um, you may not know the answer to this right off the top of your head, but just in, in terms of scale, um, Jack, do you know how much gold exists in the world? How much total gold exists in the world? I don't think so. How much? Well, instead of thinking about it in terms of units, there's actually about 170,000 metric tons out there. But I think what was the most shocking to me, and and I want to make sure our listeners grasp this uh, and have a chance to, to kind of wrap their head around this fact before we move into this conversation today, all of the gold ever mined in the world, a lot, most of which is still around, which I think is really cool because, uh, you know, the gold in, in included in a Roman coin uh, 2,000 years ago might be in a piece of jewelry that you have. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool to think about. But if you think about the entire supply, um, if it was put on a tennis court at Wimbledon, um, it would only be 10 meters high. Wow. So when you think about precious metals and, and why would, there's an intrinsic demand for that commodity, um, it's very interesting to look at it from that perspective. So let's, uh, let's jump right in, Jack. Yeah. So just wanted to start with the basics here and ask, what are the different ways to own gold and silver? I know um, a lot of our clients may ask this, and you know there are a few different ways. So would you like to explain those? Yeah. So the most common way that our investors will probably notice this is through a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund in an investment portfolio. It's very easy in the last uh, you know, 50 years to get gold and silver exposure through that method. You can easily go on to an online investment account or uh, uh, you know, some type of uh, other portfolio management strategy, and, and, and you can access as little as you know, $100 in a gold ETF. I think the, the largest one out there, the fees uh, range around zero point, uh, we call it 35 basis points or so, but 0.35 of 1%, uh, just to have uh, gold in the portfolio. Now, you don't actually own that, Jack. You, know, you, don't, uh, you don't have it in your desk drawer. Right. But that's a way you can at least get exposure to the pricing there. Silver's the same way. There's ETFs and mutual funds out there. And that's probably the most common uh, in our world, in the investment world. Um, the questions we've been getting, though, that you and I have been talking about have been about owning, uh, owning physical gold and silver, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what I think would be most interesting to our clients and those of you listening today. So there's a lot of different ways you can own uh, gold and silver. Uh, one is just through the actual American Eagle gold coins that the U.S. Mint uh, uh, produces. You can get those a lot of different ways, but uh, they come in many different denomination sizes. The most common is a one-ounce round. Uh, so when you see folks talking about gold and silver, you see them being passed down from generation to generation. This is probably the most common form that we see 
Um, and, you know, we have a term in our business called uh, fungible. You know, th- those assets, it's, it's very simple to transfer and, trans- and change those into cash. They're, they're a very liquid investment. You can also own through gold bars. Uh, you can get them in different amounts. You know, you see movies, you know, especially a lot of World War II movies where, you know, you see all these big stacks of, uh, of gold bars. Um, yeah. They're actually uh, very rare to actually see a, a real one these days. But you can get them in different sizes as well. Uh, a lot of people don't think of jewelry out there. You know, there's a lot of gold jewelry, and uh, I think uh, I think India is the largest consumer of gold jewelry in the world today. But you know, those are basically the ways that most individuals own gold, either through a mutual fund, ETF, which are uh, pretty close, are very similar. Uh, you can own those through coins, bars, and and then jewelry. That's that's going to be the way that most uh, of our listeners have exposure to gold. Thanks. And the gold bars makes me think of people keeping gold bars in their safes and. <laughs> unlocking those and having that in there for safety reasons. So, Phil, you talked at the beginning about um, owning gold, silver on the exchange. Can you talk a little bit how we use it in our portfolio? Absolutely. So gold is a, you know, I've always, I've always thought that, you know, the price of gold is a good barometer for uh, the general public's or investors' faith in our, in our monetary policy and federal, or, the, or the Federal Reserve Bank policy. Um, you know, as, as the price moves up, I think you can you can be pretty confident that investors are a little dissatisfied with that policy. And so it is what we call a safe haven in our industry. So gold in general is not a or historically has not been a great long term investment. When you look over the last 500 years, the returns are actually pretty dismal. Uh, it, you have to look back or uh, you have to, to move into the 1930s and 40s where we really uh, saw uh, the gold price after it was allowed to uh, float freely. Uh, we really saw, saw that performance pick up, especially after September 11th. Um, if you're looking for a kind of a, a, a spot on the chart to go back and look at, when you look at uh, September 11th, 2001, and, and I, I believe gold was trading in the three to $400 per ounce range. Uh, back then, and now we're, I think, just south of uh, $1,500 an ounce. You really see that, that metal start to move. So um, it's, it's not the best long-term investment. However, it doesn't have a, a real good correlation with the stock market at certain times. So it is a nice investment for us to hedge and, and for us to take a position uh, if we feel that things are not going uh, the way that we would like to see them go or we think that assets are a little overpriced. Silver, on the other hand, I, I think I should mention, is a little different. Uh, the correlation in general to the overall stock market, you know, silver is more of an industrial metal uh, and is used. Uh, so the price is a lot more volatile, and it's not going to be as as used as much as a safe haven for that reason. The second is the denomination of silver. I think the price right now is somewhere around 16 or $17 an ounce. Uh, it's just physically difficult to hold. I mean, yeah. you talked about gold bars in your safe. Could you imagine the uh, the safe that you would have to have uh, to have a quarter of a million dollars of silver versus a quarter of a million dollars of gold? I mean, there's just a big <laughs> difference there. The, the ratio has historically been about 50 to 1 on uh, pricing, and it, it varies from time to time. But a uh, big difference between those two assets. In our portfolio, which I think is, is more uh, your question, we're, when you see a firm like ours hold more gold and silver uh, it's really an indication that we are uh, not happy with the pricing that we have in different investment alternatives. Um, it's not something that we're going to take as a, as a long-term position, but we also use it as a hedge against uh, short-term stock market declines. Um, and 
we also hold that position when we're concerned about uh, about monetary policy as well. Did that answer your question, Jack? Yeah, it did. And I'm glad you mentioned the correlation factor. Um, that was another question I had for you. But uh, um, bring that up at the end that, you know, it's more of a hedge when, you know, we're worried about short-term volatility. And the, la- the last thing I wanted to cover between, you know, kind of the debate between physical and on the exchange ETFs, like you brought up, is just the liquidity in the trading room. I know on the exchange, you know, if we're to own an ETF, it's easy to buy and sell out of just because there's so much volume. Um, but from a physical standpoint, how liquid is, you know, if you were to go out and buy some of these coins or bars, can you talk a little bit about the liquidity there? I can. So the wonderful thing about gold and silver is that it's, it is pretty liquid. There, there's a uh, you know, when you think about going anywhere in the world, we've been we've been coining in gold and silver for a very long time, and so the general public, even those that that are not educated in, in that type of investment, are familiar with gold and silver. And there's a, there's a ready market. I believe a lot of the concern or illiquidity uh, in that asset class of holding physical gold and silver really is just has to do with education and information. Uh, yeah. So it's not about whether or not. <laughs> It's an asset class that uh, investors feel comfortable holding. It's just they don't know where to go to cash it in. So let's talk a little bit about that. So one of the one of the most important things to consider when or if you decide to invest in physical gold and silver is first, where are you going to get that gold and silver from? You know, who are you going to purchase that from? And so it's very important that you use a reputable dealer. To get that, there's. I know there's been talk of some some forgeries uh, increasing recently coming out of China, um, and we can talk about that later if you'd like, Jack, on how to spot those. But you need to know a reputable dealer. And if uh, I'm not going to go through names on this uh, on this podcast on this presentation, but that's that's something we can do for our clients and investors, or really any any listener uh, today. If you do have any questions about where to source physical gold and silver, we don't do that here at the Rudd Company. We're not a broker. But we do have a lot of relationships with reputable dealers, and we'd be ha- happy to, to pass that information along. But I'd say that's the most important thing. Also, under- understanding exactly what you want to buy. We talked about different kinds, coins, bars, jewelry, things like that. Uh, I like coins because they're very easy. They're very recognizable. Uh, the American Eagle is kind of the standard uh, in gold and silver coins. And you know what you're getting uh, uh, as long as you're working with a reputable dealer. And it's also easy to price. So... You ask a little bit about uh, cost and, and uh, pricing. So you can turn on the TV to any of your uh, business news channels and see what the price is of gold and silver, right? But there's a cost in actually minting that. So when it comes to gold, Jack, investors are going to spend what I've found. If you have a good dealer online, one of the larger ones, you'll probably pay somewhere between a 3 and 5% markup uh, per coin when you go out, you know, if gold's trading at you know, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars an ounce. You know, that's that can be pretty significant. You know, s- you know, somewhere around the forty to eighty dollar range, I have found per corn is is pretty normal. Um, silver, on the other hand, it's it's uh, we talked about it. I mean, it's, it takes a lot more of it to get to that fifteen hundred dollars. So the markup tends to be a lot higher. It's not uncommon uh, in silver for that markup to be in the you know the ten to twelve percent range. Uh, so that's just something to be aware of. Uh, there's something Jack called the spot price which our investors may not know a whole lot about. Um, spot's pretty easy to remember. Uh, if you were to uh, buy that commodity or basically any commodity and you were going to take delivery right then on the spot, you know, that's the price you pay for it. So it's, right. it's, 
it's uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, so you can look and flip on the television. You can look at uh, you know whatever the price of gold is. Uh, you know on typical gold coins. You know plan that there's going to be some markup. And what's cool, Jack, is most of those same dealers that are going to sell you gold and silver, reputable ones, will buy from you right around that spot price. And, you know, they can get you your money pretty quick. So it's a very liquid investment as long as you, as long as you buy right. And that's why I suggest, you know, the, the American Eagle gold coins, the, uh, the bullion that has a well-known stamp on it from a mint that's uh, pretty recognizable. And those, uh, those dealers can give you advice on, on what, what are going to be the most liquid uh, ways to own that gold and silver. So, Jack, I'm surprised you haven't asked me about storage of all this gold and silver. Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. That's the next thing I actually wanted to talk about. So, say I'm an investor. I go out. I you know, buy some gold, buy some silver, um, you know, have it all with me. You know, where do I store it? What do I do with all the, the gold and silver? It's a heavy metal um, you know, it's difficult to lug around. So what do I do next? Yeah, that's, that's a big question we get, and it's something that you need to think about. So especially with silver, gold, gold uh, because of the denomination, is not as big of a problem. But silver, if you're buying it and you're buying a lot of it, it's heavy and it's, it takes up a lot of space, right? So one of the interesting things uh, that a lot of investors don't know is, uh, is many of the, the dealers, the reputable dealers that are known throughout the country, they have programs where they will actually store your physical gold and silver for you. And then you can choose to take delivery at a later time. They do charge a, a very minor fee for this, but it's actually a great option to use if you don't have um, an adequate storage facility or safe or secure location in your home uh, or a safety deposit box, which is another option. Those are still private. I know some banks don't have those, uh, but some of the larger banks do. You can go in and in a private room and you can check the contents or review or store things like gold and silver. Um, and if you don't have that option, you could always opt to use the storage that the dealers provide as well. So other than that, uh, you just have to have a, a pretty big safe, Jack. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to work on getting a safe soon. So the last question I wanted to ask and you touched a little bit on it earlier with, uh, you know, fake or forged metals and how our clients can, you know, avoid a type of situation like that. Um, have you ever had an experience with fake or forged metals? I know um, being uh, the son of a jeweler, um, you know, he says a lot of times that it can be very difficult for people to tell, especially for people that don't have experience with, you know, buying the physical metal. So um, do you have an ex experience like that? And um, do you have any advice for our investors? I do, and this is something I'm really glad you asked because if we're going to talk about something as important as, as gold and silver, we need to discuss this because it is increasing, and we're seeing a lot of uh, – so and when I say we, again, our, our firm does not uh, – we're not a broker for gold and silver, but just being in the business we're in, we have relationships, and, and we talk to a lot of experts on a regular basis. And the first thing that I would do is work with a reputable dealer, Jack. That's number one. The dealer is going to have much more experience working with that uh, type of metal or precious metal for you. They're going to know what to look for. They're going to have machines now, the technology, to test that uh, coin to make sure that it is a legitimate one-ounce American Eagle gold coin or bullion or whatever the case may be. So that's number one. Uh, make sure you're working with a reputable dealer. So we don't want to – 
don't want to encourage anybody to go on Craigslist or other websites <laughs> and, and plop down a lot of cash. Number one, I think there's some safety issues there just in the exchange. But uh, uh, number two, uh, work with a reputable dealer. One of the best things about purchasing something as ubiquitous as an American Eagle gold coin is they have very uh, precise specifications on how they're minting these coins. And I want to share a few things with you. So um, probably the easiest thing that most investors can do is just check the diameter, the, the width, and the weight of the coin. And if it's 100% gold, we know exactly, and the Mint publishes those, and you can Google those on the Internet, but, but we know exactly what the specifications should be for that coin. And I have stood next to individuals in these transactions that have had a small little scale and they actually, they also have uh, small little tools where that you can use to weigh that coin uh, and measure the width and the diameter uh, to make sure that uh, everything is in line with those specifications. So I'd say that that's one of the biggest pieces of information that investors can have, and you can e easily uh, Google those and just take a look at those on the internet. Um, for example, I know that that the weight of a coin, because I've handled them so much, is exactly 33.93 grams. Um, and then it's off by any more than just a fraction. I think that that coin is suspect, but that's probably the biggest way, Jack, for you to tell. I want to throw some cautions out there for investors. One of the tactics that I've seen a lot with counterfeit and forgeries is placing these coins in protective cases or some type of plastic sleeve uh, similar to a retail package. Uh, that's, I don't know if y'all ever gone into a store like Best Buy and you tried to open something and it's almost impossible to get open. Um, that is a tactic I've seen and, and we've seen, uh, I have, I have seen dealers, uh, walk me through and show me the counterfeit precious metals that they've gotten in. A lot of them have come out of those protective sleeves. And what's mm. cool now is we have the technology to actually go through that protective sleeve and, and check that without even opening it. So that's it's, uh, it's just a note of caution. So I think that, that just at first glance, when you look at those, and it looks very official, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and then one of the challenges, it's, uh, it's, it's less likely to be opened. So I would challenge all of our investors that if you're going to spend the money and, and time in investing in physical gold and silver, definitely be cautious uh, when you see those protective sleeves and cases. American Eagle gold coins do not come in protective sleeve cases. Neither do the silver ones. They come in tubes, and sometimes dealers put them in small little plastic sleeves, and don't be afraid to remove them. Um, they can be handled. They don't have to be mint. So great questions, Jack. I think that's probably uh, one of the most valuable points of, of this discussion. Thanks, and thanks for giving some cautions to our investors as well. I really just wanted to drill down before we close out that I do think the trustworthy source, first and foremost, is one of the most important things, um, as anything with business, but especially when you're you know, buying these, these type of metals that can be easily forged. So is there anything else you'd like to talk about in regards to precious metals? I don't think so, Jack. So at this time, I would just want to thank all of our investors and listeners. We've gotten a lot of feedback over the last couple of podcasts on topics, and that's extremely valuable for us. So thank you again. And our goal in doing this, just to remind everyone who's listening, is not just to inform, but it's really to add value to our clients on topics that are important to you and really just in an easy-to-consume format. And we can only do that if you continue to send us your feedback. So please take some time throughout the month to send us a message, either in the office or via email, 
And uh, again, that's rudco at therudcompany.com. And just send us your comments and suggestions. We'd love to, to hear from you. In closing, Jack, thanks for putting together a good program for us today. Really appreciate it. And thanks for everything that you do in, in the trading room. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure our, our clients and investors and listeners appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much to all of our listeners today. This is the Rudd Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at the Rudd Company, invest long and prosper. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.